Welcome to Retina Health for Life from the President's Corner, brought to you by the American Society of Retina Specialists. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Murray, coming to you from Miami. On each episode, we'll bring you inspiring conversations about your sight and the special role the retina plays in making healthy vision possible. We'll hear from expert retina specialists, as well as directly from patients about living life to the fullest with retinal disease. Join us and learn how to safeguard your retina health for life. On this episode, we're going to talk about the treatment burden our retina patients may face related to regular eye injections and other common patient concerns. To discuss this important topic, I'm happy to welcome my friend and fellow retina specialist, Dr. Jeffrey Heyer of Ophthalmic Consultants of Boston. Welcome, Dr. Heyer. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Tim. So Jeff, for retina specialists like you and I, the discovery of anti-VEGF compounds and the ability to improve vision has really revolutionized our care for many of the diseases that can blind our patients. In particular, you and I think of age-related macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema. But for many of these patients, that treatment burden, having to see us in our office, to have their pupil dilated, their retina imaged, and then injected, can be incredibly complicated, both on the patient and their families. Dr. Heyer, could you walk us through what treatment burden means to you and to your patients, and some of your thoughts and experiences about how we may be able to manage that? Yeah, those are great points, Tim. And I wonder if I can start with one minute just to give a little historical perspective. You and I are old enough to remember when patients came in with wet macular degeneration or bad diabetic macular edema, before we had anti-VEGF agents, these patients did terribly. The wet AMD patients historically became legally blind within a year. The bad DME patients did terribly. And so the, the advent of the anti-VEGF agents has dramatically changed how we manage these patients. Unfortunately, with those advances have come a treatment burden. These really tremendous agents often require frequent injections, ranging anywhere from monthly to every eight to 12 weeks. And with the, that burden comes uh, a, a burden, not just to the patients, but also to their families, to their caregivers. And so patients have to come in. They are typically, if, if they're working age, which many of the diabetic patients are, they have to take days off from work. And, and this may be anywhere from four to 12 days off of work a year for these treatments if their caregivers or family have to bring them in because most of them can't drive following an injection, they also have to take time off. So the amount of time that is spent by the patients and caregivers is, is quite substantial. That, that's the downside, right? That's, that's the bad thing about these treatments. Everything else is, is really quite good. It's our ability to truly stabilize or improve vision in the large majority of these patients. Don't you feel, Jeff, that that, I mean, I, the biggest impact I have, I have seen on, on my 
patients throughout my career has been the advent of anti-VEGF therapy. And then finding that the same treatment that works for wet macular degeneration can work for diabetic retinopathy and diabetic macular edema and can work for stroke patients. And instead of just preserving the vision, often we see our patients improve vision. So I think it's, it's, it's almost miraculous in terms of how our patients can respond. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. The, the response to these treatments um, is just dramatic. And, and it's often overwhelming the patients to, to come in with terrible vision, to show them the anatomy, the pictures, the OCTs that show their retinal edema that correlate to their poor vision, and then have them come back one, two, and three months later and see the dramatic improvements. And, and I fully agree with you that that experience, the 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 feeling you get from us truly being able to help these patients, because as retina specialists, we deal with a lot of really bad diseases, and these agents enable us to really impact patients in a meaningful and relatively quick manner. So it's it's quite fulfilling. Yeah, it seems to me that. Um... From, from a patient's perspective, we've become so focused on our ability to have such excellent outcomes that sometimes the difficulty here is to explain to the patient the ongoing nature of treatment. How do you talk to your patients about you may need injections at some interval for forever? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So I tell patients very early on, let's say wet AMD patients, I tell them, look, this is a bad disease, but we've, we've developed treatments that are very effective at shutting down progression and in many cases, helping them to improve. But what we've seen is those treatments require ongoing therapy. And many patients require these fairly frequently early on and many, if not most patients require these for years and often for their lifetime. However, I also let them know that we have patients now who are approaching 180, 200 injections and still have excellent vision, sort of highlighting the fact that these devastating diseases in many cases can be controlled, but it requires a lot of work on their part and on their caregivers and on their retina specialist part. So I think you're absolutely right. So when we talk about treatment burden, it's so complex. It's not just getting the patient into our office with the family member or caregiver to bring them. Um, most of our patients have driving vision, but many of them are not comfortable to drive home on their own. And then Jeff, you and I, though we are old enough to remember pre-anti-VEGF therapies, we're also part of that clinical trials team when we started where we injected patients every four weeks. Yeah. So can you comment on some of the strategies maybe to decrease that every four week treatment burden? How do you approach your patients for that? Yeah, so I think many of us recognize that the, the results from the, these pivotal studies that you and I have, have been heavily involved in have shown that frequent injections are able to achieve very good results over certain time periods. And those are 
typically one to two years. After that, most of the studies have allowed patients to have their treatment intervals enlarged or lengthened. And that's what we're always trying to do. We're always trying to find that balance between minimizing treatment burden, but maintaining the gains we've achieved in the first couple of years. So I'm a big believer in the treat and extend approach. I think many of us do the approach where we will treat a patient, bring them back at a short time interval, say a month, if they're dry, we will treat them then and maybe extend their interval by anywhere from one to a few weeks. So you see them, they're dry, you see them six weeks later. If they come in then and they're dry, you treat them again and go to eight weeks. And that seems to offer a balance between you know monthly therapy or every eight week therapy, which some of the studies have shown with certain drugs like a Flibercept that you could go Q8 weeks. Um, the, the, the ability to extend that and hopefully still maintain the gains that we've achieved. And certainly some of the data has shown that treat and extend can allow us to do that. That's with our current agents. Yeah. So what, one of the things for me, Jeff, is I always tell my patients it's kind of treat and adjust because sometimes they have to actually return earlier. And I focus with them on how personalized this is. So they're not getting treated like anyone else. They're getting treated based exactly on what their eye anatomy and visual function demands. So do you, do you shorten intervals for your patients sometimes like you would extend intervals? Absolutely. And, and often we use the OCT, the images of the retinal fluid and thickness to guide us, but sometimes there are other factors that do it. For instance, I have patients who come in and say, after you treat me, I notice an immediate bump, but I've been going six weeks and I notice that at about five weeks, my ability to read the paper falls off. And that might not be reflected in a big anatomy change, but these patients seem to be able to sense or be able to tell when certain changes are coming. So that patient I'll reduce down to five weeks or I'll, I'll allow them to help guide me on their therapy. And as you said, it's a very personalized approach. What works for one patient may not work for another. I think that's really important uh, having your patient sort of involved. I love when I have a patient that can make that kind of a, a discussion point with me. I saw really well up until four days ago, or my vision tapered a little bit a week ago. I also encourage our patients, if there is a, a notable significant change in vision, that they call and come into the office earlier. I know you're like that too. We're never unhappy to see our patients earlier. I'm typically only unhappy to see my patients later. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you that you want to be able to, if there's a change, we'd like to be able to capture that change and manage it and treat it as quickly as possible. So like you, I encourage patients with any change to call us and I let them know that almost certainly my response is going to be, let's see you in clinic. And I, I think, first of all, that level of comfort allows the patients to understand that it really is about maintaining their vision. And we're committed to that as we need them to be committed to it. The other thing that I think has been a kind of a, a sad eye opener is that 
I tell my patients that the most common reason to lose vision is not enough injections. And, and I push my patients really hard to understand that when we are treating them, we try to move their appointment for their next evaluation and injection as far away from this one as possible. So there's not a lot of play in the system to go another, even a couple of days for some of our patients. I'm shocked to see that two or three extra days for some of my patients who are treated regularly, it makes it an anatomic and visual difference. But Jeff, where I think we've really seen some of the impact of this has been during the pandemic. So I, I, I like you, have a very busy retinal clinical practice. I saw 10 patients today that hadn't come back for over two months extra because they were terrified of traveling during the pandemic. And every patient had a loss in the anatomic function of the retina and a decrease in the vision. It was kind of that heartbreak of knowing patients are afraid to travel because they're afraid for their lives, but you and I are afraid to let them not travel and not be treated because of their vision. Have you had any similar discussions with your patients? Without a doubt. So, you know, it, you guys have been a hotbed for, for COVID as we have at times, and, and we're in the midst of a surge again right now. I, we have patients who will call and say, look, I'm terrified to come in. And what we try to reassure them is we've, we've taken a lot of measures to get patients in and out of clinic as safely and as efficiently as possible, but get those treatments in, understanding that those delays can make a big difference. I think on the flip side, I have a lot of patients who come and say, Dr. Heyer, this is, I'm so happy to see you because this is my one trip out of the house yes. in the last eight weeks. And it's the only time I go. I have everything else delivered. I do my other doctor's appointments virtually, but this one, I understand how important it is and I will not miss an injection. So I think part of one of the things that this program emphasizes, Jeff, for you and I and our patients is that we really want our patients to understand what diseases we are treating, what we are treating and how it can impact them so that they can be knowledgeable about making the best decisions for themselves. So I'm respectful of my patients' decisions when they disagree with a therapeutic strategy that I choose, but I want them to understand the implications. And I don't feel I've done a good job if they can't look at me and say, I know I should have a treatment today, but I won't be able to have that today. I'm gonna to have a treatment later, or I know I must come back in four weeks, but I have to come back in six. And I, I push back really hard in my office. I'm kind of, I feel like I'm almost the tough guy with my patients when this happens. What do you do? Yeah, it's the same thing. I, you know, a lot of times patients will negotiate with you. You'll say, okay, this looks great. We're gonna see you in six weeks. And they go, how about seven? And, and I'll tell them, I say, look, you're, we're working on this together. I'm, I would be much more comfortable with you at six. I don't know if you can go seven. I think this slower stepwise approach gives you the best chance of maintaining the gains we've achieved or maintaining the vision you're at. Um, and, and I try, as you do, I try to say, look, it's better to be conservative here. Similarly, there are patients who are often one-eyed who have lost vision in their fellow eye, say to to a submacular hemorrhage or advanced atrophy. 
and I'll say, look, if it if you were my father or my mother or my wife, you would be at this treatment interval and I would never go longer than that. And so for a drug like a Flibercet, that's often eight weeks. Maybe it's comparable to that with ranibizumab or bevacizumab. But I, I will tell them, I think we should stay at this interval because you're doing well. Your other eye had a problem and this is the only eye we have to deal with and to manage and enable you to be independent or to drive or to read or see your grandkids' faces. I don't think we should take any chances with this eye. I think that's so, so important. And I think you and I mentioned that together is that, you know, I have to treat my parents and, and I'm no, no tougher on you than I, I am on them. I'm treating you, you know, a, as I would want my family to be treated. So Jeff, you and you and I focus today a little bit on the patient burden, which is the examination and the injection and the travel and the post-injection recovery, a little bit on the family burden where we have to have a caregiver or a family person be involved, and a little bit on the impact that that may play on, on, on financial um, repercussions for a family. But we really haven't talked much about the fact that there is also a financial burden for our patients because of the frequency of treatment. And one of the things that I think is important is that as we look at these more complex agents that may last longer, it seems like there's a potential that the cost of those drugs may go up. Um, how do you address some of the burdens financially for your patients that you're treating or their families? Yeah, so to me, most of my patients have either one or two insurances. They have the normal and then they have the supplemental. So I don't deal as frequently with the cost of the medication because most of them are covered. Although globally, I often start with a drug that's very inexpensive, bevacizumab, and then go on if that drug doesn't demonstrate benefit. Um, and I have a very low threshold for switching. The cost that I do often deal with is patients saying, look, this is going to require me to miss work. It requires me, you know, I come to your office and it costs me $40 a day for parking. Um, I have all the missed, you know, time for my family members where they have to have somebody else watch their kids when they come to drive me. So those types of burdens, I think, are universal to everybody. And, and we talk about it, and, and usually what I do is express understanding and say, I, I recognize that, but the, the flip side is if we lose your ability to, to see, to read, to write your checks, to, to be able to shop, that independence has a value that's, that's essentially priceless. We have a complicated world that we live in and the burdens I think are multiple across the patients and their families, their caregivers, maybe even a burden to society. I'm like you, Jeff, I start my patients typically on the least expensive treatment approach first that I know works for virtually all of my patients, but have the capacity to transition them going forward. One of the exciting things about as we potentially extend the intervals to treatment is you and I base a lot of our care on the optical coherence tomography, the um, swept source or the spectral domain OCT pictures that we show our patients. 
I think I have been involved as you have in some of the home monitoring programs to try to look at moving OCT into the patient's home for them to be seen. Can you comment on what you think of that and where you think that role may be going forward in the future? Yeah, so I'm actually the lead investigator for a home OCT study, and I have uh, our first several patients on a home OCT device. And that I believe that has the potential to, again, very significantly change our management of patients. We know historically that if we go to a less regimented treatment regimen, uh, what we call PRN, that regimen has uniformly failed. And it's, it's in clinical trials, it does okay because we're seeing the patients every month regardless. But in real life, we can't see them every month. And so we lose them and we lose their gains. If you have a home OCT that's able to follow these patients essentially daily, and you can pick up subtle changes very early and bring them in quickly, it, it changes our ability to manage these patients. Now, I would still advocate trying to have patients on a regimen, some sort of regimen like treat and extend, but this enables us to pick up any of those changes, even on treat and extend better. So if we say we're gonna extend you by three weeks instead of two, we can follow them carefully and see that. And I've been looking at these images for the patients I have on it now, and I'll tell you, the resolution is really quite good. And I'm able to pick up the fluctuations in fluid based on their treatments already. So I think this has significant potential. I think I'm excited about like, like you are of the future of that kind of technology. And it's interesting to see that we're, we're, we may be moving this disease in different directions, but almost all of these shifts are really directed at addressing the burden of treatment for, the, for our patients and their families. So Jeff, Dr. Heyer, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us um, today. I think that this has been one of our truly patient-focused topics, and it is a discussion that I and you have with our patients literally daily. So from the ASRS, I'd like to thank you for joining us, Dr. Jeff Heyer from Ophthalmic Consultants of Boston. Thank you, Jeff. Always a pleasure, Tim. Thanks for tuning in to Redna Health for Life from the President's Corner. You can watch and listen to more episodes on the ASRS YouTube channel and on popular podcast directories, including Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Spotify. For even more information about safeguarding your vision for a lifetime, visit asrs.org patients and follow ASRS on both Facebook and Twitter. Retina Health for Life is made possible in part through generous support from the Foundation of the American Society of Retina Specialists, Allergan, Genentech, Novartis, and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals. See you soon.